Hey everybody, my name is Pej. We come on every single Tuesday, right around noontime. I always have special guests in the recovery world. We talk about anything and everything that's recovery related or lack thereof. Welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Does this work? One, two, one, two, in the place to be. Welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. What a special day today is. Oh, okay, we got Loki in the other room. Um, hold on real quick. Let me just go like this so that we can see what people are saying. I'm going to just... What a special day today is. All right, so I'm here. Welcome to the corner. I'm here with my friend Laura Reeves. Modifi. Mofidi. Mofidi. Yes. I should know that. I'm you Persian. You should know that. She has a Persian husband. I do. Okay. Um, I am so happy to have you here today. You know, it's really cool. Like, I have a lot of different guests on the show, and sometimes because of certain people, like, I vibe differently with them depending on who they are. Like, sometimes you get these uh, people that are highly educated that uh, have a, a vast vocabulary where I, I want to keep up with them. So I have to study them the night before and be able to like say the right stuff. And then I get a little bit choked up or nervous. And usually I don't get nervous, but, but with certain guests, I just get that way. But with you, are you saying I don't have a vast vocabulary? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, because you're one of my best friends, um, it's fluid. Like I already know it's going to be just fine. They're all fine, but this is going to be really, you're special to me. Very special to me. Um, I, I've, I'm so happy to have you here today. Um, you and I have known each other for a few years now. Mm -hmm. We met, uh, I think, when I moved back from L.A. probably about six years ago to Orange County for a while. Um, <sighs> you are in our community, in the recovery community, somebody that stands out to me very, very much in relation to just not just sobriety from substances, but also um, when it comes to ED, the ED world, eating mm. disorders. Um, you are just an amazing soul and I know that you do great work and we want to talk about all of that today. So I, first and foremost, mm. so say hello. Hi, <laughs> thank you for having me so much. I'm so excited to be part of your corner <laughs> and I can't wait to chat with you and you are one of my best friends. So I thank love you. being here. Oh, so nice to hear that. Um, I love that you love being here. Um, I, I wanted to first start off by learning about you and who you are and uh, your history. You know, what happened to Laura? Where did you grow up? Well, um, I grew up in Orange County. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Lake Forest. I do still consider it El Toro. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. It used to be a city, El Toro. It, it's El Toro. Yeah, it's still El Toro. <laughs> Yeah, um, it was El Toro because of the El Toro Marine Base. That's just right. a little history there. It's so no I, there. it's no longer there. Right. Um, so I, I grew up in El Toro, um, which is Lake Forest. Um, I'm a local girl to SoCal. And um, a little bit of my history, I grew up as a swimmer. And that was my first, like, passionate – Oh gosh, I would say, I want to say first love, but the first thing like I really was um, gung-ho about. Mm -hmm. And um, I think in Orange County, if, if people aren't familiar with Orange County, or Orange County is very um, 
heavily populated with the swim community. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of Olympians come out of this area. So that was my main focus growing up was mm -hmm. going to the Olympics. And um, with that said, that's where my focus on um, achieving a body that could um, not only have the right physique, but that also Perform well. Perform, mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, I, that's why I think without even knowing, because I, I didn't learn about you and your swimming skills until much later in our friendship, but I, too, grew up in Utah, and I was a star swimmer. I took state champs when I was in the eighth grade growing up there. So, so I loved, so cute. I loved swimming. I even mm -hmm. had a, a, a coach once that told me that uh, you keep this up and you will you, you have potential to go to the Olympics. And so... I was out there practicing every single day, every mm -hmm. day. You know, like it was, this was just a ritual to be in the water for at least an hour to an hour and a half. But I remember when we moved to Orange County, which now is what you say, the, the swimming is so big. I went to Costa Mesa High School, which did have a pool. Mm -hmm. I did swim there, but then we moved to Irvine for a while. And uh, Woodbridge High School did not have a pool. They have a pool now, mm -hmm. but they did not have a pool then. So if we wanted to swim, we had to go to Irvine High and um, I kind of took the high road after a little while and went and got high on the high road. Mm. So swimming became other things. But so you were a swimmer. Obviously, um, this became a passion for you for a while. How old were you when you were swimming? Between what ages? I started swimming at four. Um, I, I actually made the national team at 13. Um, so swimming was a career <laughs> at a young age. Yeah. It, it was definitely something that I took very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. I was doing morning practice, night practice, uh, everything I did revolved around swimming school, you know, wasn't important to me. Now that you bring that up, when you, it wasn't important to you? Not at all. Does that mean that you did or did not get good grades in school? I did not. Not, I didn't even care about it. Um, there are some of those athletes that can do both. That was not a skill for me. Mm -hmm. um, I was extremely dyslexic growing up. Mm -hmm. So part of that insecurity of being dyslexic and feeling like I was stupid, mm -hmm. I put I put that drive a little bit more into my athletic skills. Okay. So with that said, you're an open book, right? Yeah. Go All for right. it. <clears throat> Any traumas when you were younger? Yeah, yeah. I um, mm, my voice cracks a little bit yes. right when that that you asked me that question. Mm -hmm. I um, I have a very loving, beautiful family and a very tight knit um, family dynamic. So um, my parents and my brother and I grew up with beautiful grandparents that went to every swim meet. Um, with that said, I did have um, adolescent sexual trauma mm -hmm. um, that happened with neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't, that was something I didn't share with my family until I was in my 30s. And not to flash forward way too fast, but that wasn't something basically I shared until I got sober. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. With that happening uh, to you and you having to live the secret of life, mm -hmm. um, obviously some of your other activities in your life became secretive too, correct? Absolutely, yes. So did you 
have an eating disorder before you had a drug addiction or alcoholism, or did they simultaneously kind of happen? Which one came first? Yeah, for me, it's like the chicken before the egg, right? Right. So for me, my story began definitely with um, manipulating food mm -hmm. to cover up the shame mm -hmm. um, and the guilt I was feeling. And it's it's interesting because the way um, I would always explain it mm -hmm. uh, to th you know therapists at a at a young age. I grew up in the um, what I would call now the the treatment system, right. where you have a clinical team at a really young age. Mm -hmm. um, I would always explain it as like I feel like I have this black X on me, but mm -hmm. I couldn't really explain what was going on inside me. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that I would soothe myself with that feeling was to manipulate food and manipulate my body. I wouldn't. Um, say that that was a full blown eating disorder, um, when I was an adolescent, but I started doing that around age five. Okay. So please elaborate when you say manipulating food, does that mean purging? Does it mean binge? What does it mean? No, because it wasn't, a, um, it, it's more of disordered eating behaviors. Okay. Um, taking out food groups mm -hmm. is a manipulation of uh, food, right? So I would eliminate certain food groups so that my body could swim faster. Or like what? Uh, what would you take out? Well, example. So we have to remember we're talking about the 80s and the 90s. Mm -hmm. So in the 80s and the so this is actually quite interesting. In the 80s and the 90s. Um, there was a war on, uh, high fat foods. So, and it's, there's actually a really interesting paper called the war on fat. Mm -hmm. And in the eighties and nineties, the American heart association said things that were high in fat were bad for you. And, and you might remember a commercial that was like anti eggs for a while. I vaguely do. Okay. So, um, I saw these things as a child. So I would take off and everything was fat free. Mm -hmm. Everything was fat free. So, um, as a, as a young girl, I would in nothing could have fat in it. Okay. Nothing. Right. So everything had to be fat free and interesting enough. Like when you're an athlete, mm -hmm. when I was an athlete, um, during that time, you would carbo load before, um, meats. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how another way I would manipulate, uh, food situations. Okay. So this is an early adolescence. Is that when this began? I remember doing this, like being very concerned about this stuff, especially mm -hmm. the fat thing right. around five. So very young, mm -hmm. very young. Mm -hmm. And, um, you say because of swimming too. So you wanted to be able to perform better. So you were manipulating food to perform better. This wasn't like you were doing, um, like you were having an eating disorder because you felt like you were overweight. Is that why? No. Um, at the, at the time it was more of, if I could, the mindset was if I could achieve this thing, mm -hmm then I don't need to think about the guilt and, and the shame that I'm really feeling. And mm -hmm. I'm, and, and I don't really feel like I need to share it. Right. Um, so I was trying more feel, um, if I can explain it better, mm -hmm. it's more of like fine tuning a machine. Okay. So then, um, so as this began at such a young age, did it just keep going on from like your childhood into your adolescent period? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, when I hit puberty around 14 and 15, mm-hmm. um, I had it highlighted to me by a coach that I was putting on weight, which is natural for mm-hmm. a young woman. Okay. And um, I wasn't able to deal with that. I also had had some, I lost a, a grandparent at mm-hmm. that time. Right. So I was going through a little bit of depression mm-hmm. as well. And I didn't handle it quite well. And my way of handling it was to start binging and purging. Okay. And binging and purging, meaning like bulimia, like making yourself throw up. Mm-hmm. Or yes. binging, like eating excessively, but then throwing it all up. Is that what that is? Yeah. So binging and purging is when you binge excessively and then you purge to get rid of the food inside you. Okay. Um, and the reason that I know about this, well, mm-hmm. uh, so I went to school when I was newly sober to become a drug and alcohol counselor. So mm-hmm. we learned about some disorders and we definitely, that terminology, uh, was new to me. Like I didn't know, I knew what binging meant because I binged with drugs and, and alcohol for sure. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that purging was to actually make yourself throw up. The only time, and I've talked to you about this before, I don't think that I personally had an eating disorder throughout my life, but there was times, and this is something that I had figured out somehow, when I would get hiccups for two days just because of the excessive amount of food that I like to eat. I loved eating. I really did. I've always had body dysmorphia and many other things that, um, that surrounded itself around eating and, and food. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I learned that by, t- in order for me to kill my, uh, hiccups, because people would try to tell me all kinds of things like hold your ears like this or go and like hang upside down or do this and that and be like, listen, dude, like I've tried all that stuff. None of that stuff worked, mm-hmm. but I knew one thing. I knew that if I went and made myself throw up, mm-hmm by going in the bathroom and sticking my finger down my throat for some reason it would jerk the inside of my belly to the point where uh i i remember like the hiccups would actually go away and it it would subside like i wouldn't have them for a while again and i I thought okay good like it it worked and i learned and i later realized like the more that i do that it's really bad for my teeth right Mm because i would get hiccups a lot when i was younger it just happened right Mm -hmm. and i was so frustrating because they wouldn't go away so that's how i learned when I say I have experience with what you're talking about, isn't from personal experience that I would do that to kill the hiccups. However, when I got sober and I started working in treatment, there was a certain treatment center that I worked in that was more geared around drug addiction, alcoholism, and mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a young lady there who we were told we have to keep our eyes on her because she has a history of binging and purging. That's Mm -hmm. where like, where I zeroed in on it and I thought, okay, so what, what does that mean? They said, she, usually she's very open about doing this. When she does it, she, she has, she, she is, she will talk to somebody about it. Mm-hmm. It could be her therapist. It could be uh, support staff. It could be uh, a friend in rehab, but she's vocal about it. She does not keep it secretive, I, but I'm sure there are some people that do keep it secretive, especially I've seen some that get anorexia and that they just have this lifestyle where they they feel like they have to always uh, purge to, in order to keep their weight down. Um, but but that's where I first ever heard of that. And I don't think that that woman belonged in, you know, she should have actually been in an eating disorder uh, specialized like facility that could really help her with that condition. And usually the later down the line, when I would work in treatment, whenever we would get some client that would come in, male or female, didn't matter if, 
um, there was a, a history of eating disorder uh, along coupled with with alcoholism or addiction, we would often have to try to refer them out because we mm-hmm. did that, that particular center did not specialize in that. Now, when you were binging and purging, um, was any was there any addiction or alcoholism in the mix yet? No, alcoholism didn't come later for me. Mm. And um, probably I wouldn't identify uh, alcoholism in my life until I was 24. So that's much later in life. Mm -hmm. That's like young adulthood. Yes. Yeah. So before that, like during the time that you were binging and purging, let's say in your adolescent period, Mm -hmm. Was there any addiction or were you using, um, experimenting with drugs and alcohol? I mean, you lived in Lake Forest. Everybody was getting loaded back <laughs> <there>. <laughs> Yeah, I went to El Toro High School. I definitely had friends that were partying and smoking pot. Um, that wasn't my thing. I was definitely consumed by my eating disorder. Um, it robbed me of my swimming career. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually my bulimia turned into anorexia. Mm -hmm. And by the time I graduated high school, I ended up in a hospitalization facility and I was there for six months. When your coach told you that you, you look like you're putting on some weight, Mm -hmm. excuse my French, did that fuck with your head? Of course it did. One, he pulled me out of practice and said it in front of everybody. I think that more fucked with my head. Um, and now I, I think coaches are a, a little bit more trained in, in how to facilitate these conversations. Yeah. At least I hope they are. Right. Um, but yeah, it definitely fucked with my, it fucked with my ego. Definitely. Well, I mean, it, it never feels good for anybody, especially we grew up in Orange County. Some of us, you know what? We'd be vague. We'd be really vain. So if we if we be hearing that that we're we're putting on some weight, like that's that's not going to sit well. I, I've heard it in, throughout my life, and there was times when I was really shredded and I was in good shape, and you know I had that physique. I had at one time I had some steroid physique. At one time I had some mm-hmm. natural physique, and then later on I had that methamphetamine physique, right? Like, like, to where, <laughs> where people chic. would be like, "You look like you dropped a lot of weight overnight." I'd be like, "Yes, I know. Thank you. I appreciate that." About yeah. ten pounds, huh? But <laughs> but um, but I believe psychologically, when some people, when anybody says something to us about our weight, mm-hmm. it hurts us. It hurts, like to to think, um, am I really putting on a few pounds? Like, what do I need to do to get rid of that? And so, um, I think was that some kind of fuel also towards you and your purging and and binging, perhaps? I mean, like when you were in anorexia, did you know this is unhealthy? <clears throat> Well, go back to the first question with the coach. It definitely fueled that fire. But you also have to remember that fire was already lit because my self-worth was so wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. Um, My self-worth and my what I thought all I could live up to or amount to as far as a future, any type of future Mm -hmm. was so wrapped up in that. So um, it definitely hurt. And you have to kind of think of who it's coming from. Like that was the person I looked up to. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the coach. That's the coach. High expectations. We want you to perform um, better. We want you to look better. And it's in front of my team members. So it was definitely like an urgency of, I need to fix this now. Right. Um, 
So that's what I tried to do. However, mm -hmm. the obsession and the behavior and the thoughts and of all of that ended up taking over and ended up what I kind of think of ended up becoming the main sport or the mm -hmm. main gig mm -hmm. eventually. Um, as far as the anorexia, uh, gosh, anorexia in, in my mind and what I see uh, typically with clients mm -hmm. um, and, and not just anorexia, but especially with anorexia, the body dysmorphia gets so skewed mm -hmm. out of the ballpark of anything right. like I've ever seen. And especially for me, I mean, you can be complete, you can have yourself completely convinced you look one way mm -hmm. or you've eaten this much and it can be, can be absolutely the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, and, you, and you will, it's almost like the alcoholic that's like, and I was this alcoholic, by the way, like convinced I only had two drinks when they've had like 28. <laughs> right, 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 right. I understand that. So, so now that we talk about being the alcoholic, mm. 24, you started drinking in excess. Is that what happened? Yeah. So hmm. my alcoholism was, it was always kind of an odd one for me. You know, I turned 21. I, I, um, I had, I'd had three years of being like, binge and purge free. Um, and, and I was, I had a solid, what I thought a mm -hmm. solid eating disorder recovery at that time. Right, because of the center that you went to? The center I went right. to, I had a treatment team mm -hmm. um, that I was still seeing. Right. I went to meetings. Now these weren't 12 step meetings, mm -hmm. but I went to meetings regularly and I was an advocate. Were um, they geared around e ED? Around, mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah. Was that a, a part of that center or a, like just? They're nationally known meetings. Okay. So yeah, okay. there are meetings that were all over, uh, you know, Orange County, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, and I would go and I would like advocate kind of like I do now and do, um, you know, little talks or like little newspaper articles. So I was pretty involved in the ED world mm -hmm. at, you know, 18, 19, even into my 20s. So around 21, when um, drinking came around, I, I drank with friends right. and I, I kind of, you know, I liked it, but I have to be honest, I was still very afraid of the calorie intake. Right. So I didn't really ever cross that line. Cal calorie counters. Yes, yes. Yes. Until I married a musician. <laughs> I married a musician and we just started partying and it's like that invisible line right. of like having drinks casually to just like full blown Going hard. partying, smoking pot, doing coke, like party, 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 party. I also was and a hairstyle. You were in your early twenties. I mean, this, this is a time when a lot of people. Like I this. lived in LA. I, you know, it was fun. It was super, super fun until it wasn't. Right. And when it wasn't, um, I crossed the line of binging and purging and becoming an alcoholic all at all once. together. Mm -hmm. So you were, you were back in your disorders, both alcoholism, both. ED, all of that. Yep. And, um, and this lasted all throughout your twenties. This lasted until I was 33. 33 years old. Yeah. Did you get sober at 33? I did, yeah. Well, what made you get sober? Oof. Oof. Um, 
sobriety was not a choice for me. <laughs> I got sober because um, now the the ins and outs of my how I got or my rock bottom are fuzzy to me because I was wasted. But I basically got sober because I had had a in one year I had been in in and out of the hospital 12 or 13 times for alcohol poisoning. Mm -hmm. And my trick for that was if I went in for alcohol poisoning, I would lie and say I had ulcerated colitis, mm -hmm. which I did not. But if you have ulcer, you know what? I shouldn't tell this story. It's um, probably not appropriate for uh, people who might have bulimia. Okay. <laughs> so we'll I, will I will leave that out. Yes. But um, – Anyways, I would lie and, and make up some stories so that I could get some extra assistance <laughs> and and knock both addictions off at 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 the door. Okay. Anywho, this happened twelve times, <laughs> and the last time, uh, it was the look on my dad's face that like this sheer of like he I don't know if he thought I was gonna die <laughs> or if he was absolutely humiliated or if he was just done. But it was it was that look. And my first thought wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I need to get treatment. I need to get help. Mm -hmm. It was I need to do something else about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I. So when you say it wasn't a choice for you to get sober, really, like this, it, this was the end of the, the line. Like it was the you, end of the line had for to me. Do something about it. It was either do or die. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very well. Now we get into the recovery. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> you told me you were an open book in advance. So yeah. No, I, I no, no, no. I love it. I, when I first, uh, I guess you and I somehow became friends on Facebook when I had moved back down to Orange County. Um, and I didn't really know who you were, but you know how sometimes you like, I know some of you do this shit, but you go and you scope out somebody's Facebook. And I, I, st I looked at your Facebook and I'm like, how do we how do we become friends? She seems like a deep spirit. Like she's cool. She's good people, right? And um and I really I vibed with you. Like I, I thought like, we knew each other, but not that well. Mm -hmm. And then like we became better friends. And over a period of time, when we became better friends, I learned you. You learned me. Mm -hmm. And we both learned that we are very active in the recovery community in our respective fields. Mm -hmm. I work with addiction. I work with. Um, alcoholism. I work with mental health. I do interventions and all that stuff. And you knew that um, I was really big on uh, aftercare, having people get out of treatment or get out of whatever uh, they've been through and, and having working towards long-term sobriety. So I remember a few years back, you and I, uh, there was a birthday party at your parents' house. At my parents' at house, your yeah. Parents house. And when we were walking through the house, um, I just looked at the house and I'm like, this house would be great for a sober living. And you told me like, yeah, I've had a lot of ideas. Like, you know, my parents might end up giving me this house and I would like to be able to open up a house for women with eating disorders. Uh -huh. and, and maybe we could do something. And we've talked about that a lot over the years. And I remember after a while, um, your parents decided to rent out the house and a few things worked out perfectly. And, mm -hmm. and God bless their souls. They're beautiful human beings. They helped me a lot. We ended up opening a sober living there mm -hmm. and it was supposed to be a men's sober living. But what happened was um, there was a uh, female identifying as male, which was trans. And um, I was working with this individual and, and uh, he mm -hmm. still had female parts and was going to move in. So uh, that wouldn't have worked with the all male house because 
uh, when you come to do drug tests and things like that, you need to have a female uh, testing that person. So because of him moving in, who was still actually a female, we decided to divide the house into two and make it a co-ed house. Mm -hmm. Now, when we made it a co-ed house, and a lot of people hear co-ed house, sober living, oh my God, what kind of shenanigans are going on? No, it wasn't a co-ed house where guys and girls are like sleeping in each other's beds and things <laughs> like that. There was division, there was a female manager, there was a male manager, but the entire downstairs was dedicated to the women. Mm -hmm. And there was seven beds for women down there. And I remember you telling me uh, in advance that our house, like this this used to be my bedroom and that used to be my bathroom. And that was my bedroom back there. And I moved around from these rooms and I binged and I purged in all of these <laughs> different areas. So like when I never really went in the women's area that much, mm -hmm. but when I did, like if I had to go and like look at something that was happening in the bathroom or whatever, when nobody else was there, I remember like the first thought would be like, this is where Laura was binging. This is where she was purging. <laughs> and now, and I thought like, how cool is it now that there's women in recovery yeah. that are living in this house that are getting their lives back? Mind you, um, a few of them may have had the eating disorders. And so I would try to, uh, you had created some uh, groups and meetings and I would try to get them to come to some of them. And a few of them actually would, mm -hmm. right? And so um, I know that you've worked in, um, in a center that was specified and working with people with eating disorders. And mm -hmm. then I know that later you went to work in another center with adolescents who probably needed more of that type of work mm -hmm. in their center, because usually, obviously it happened with you and your adolescents where it, it was like in full force. And, and, um, and so I believe you're very valuable for the place that you were at last, where you were working before what you're doing now. Mm. I want to know what exactly are you doing now? I want our audience to know who you are and what, what Laura Reeves is doing right now. Oh, um, well, I'm currently at th three locations. Mm -hmm. I work for the Karen Lewis Eating Disorder Center in Boston. I'm a meal coach and a recovery coach um, for Karen. If anybody doesn't know who Karen Lewis is, she's an amazing um, eating disorder therapist who's centered out of Boston. Um, she has a it's it's close to an IOP program, but it's not exactly an IOP program. Mm -hmm. um, right now, everything's virtual. Um, so I do work for Karen Lewis um, right now. I'm doing. Um, meal coaching and recovery coaching, virtual sessions. Um, I also am back at Newport Institute. Are you? Yes. Okay, so yeah. we're lucky to have you back. <laughs> yeah. Which was actually the first rehab I ever worked at in my life. It was Newport Academy. I was on the men's side, but I did some groups for both the men and the women. Um, it, that was the very first it was an adolescent facility, so I got to see a bunch of little mini pages like in action. Yeah, right? uh, but but I, I have fond memories of. We're always uh, crossing. You notice that? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm back in Newport Institute, primarily working as a meal coach, um, and I work with. So they the, got you there now, doing what you wanted to do. Yes. I love it. I yes. Yes. You. Yes. Thank you. Good. Thank That's you very much. 
Yeah. So I'm doing meal coaching and some recovery coaching there, um, but mostly meal coaching and working one-on-one with the um, nutritionist there. So when you say meal coaching, does that mean that you help them prepare certain meals or what, what? what's a meal coach? What do you do? Yeah, great question. No. So meal coaching uh, with someone that is struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating, we do the boots on the ground support. So what that can look like is plating a meal or sitting down and having a meal and helping with thoughts and behaviors that might come up, mm-hmm. right? Or that are coming up. Yeah. So the main job I think um, that I try to do is to normalize meals, mm-hmm. you know, to really come around and to make mealtime pleasurable and normal again. My hope is that one day each client can go out to a restaurant or have a family meal and feel relaxed Mm -hmm. and free and just enjoy themselves. So that's my goal, right? Right. So when I'm doing a session with a client, Mm -hmm. um, I might be looking for thoughts and behaviors, but I'm engaging with them and trying to make it as normal and pleasurable as possible. Mm -hmm. I, right when we were going to start this, Mm -hmm. you said, I don't want to talk about anybody, any people. Right. And, 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 and I think that's a good, good, um, it's good not to talk about people. I do want to say that it's really interesting to me. Well, I've seen you work with a lot of people, mm-hmm. male, female, straight, gay, many different types that have eating disorders. And when I say that I've seen you working with them, it's because I've seen you working with people that I've met in the recovery community because they've had addiction and alcoholism and maybe some other problems. But mm-hmm. also sometimes I didn't even know that a certain someone would happen to have an eating disorder. It doesn't come as a surprise for Mm -hmm. some, you know, I obviously I know that you'll see somebody that you think that person is so beautiful Mm. or that person is so good looking, like, but they don't think that about themselves. But I, I commend you for the type of work that you do and who you are and how you help people, because I have seen, I've seen some people who are still struggling and they're trying, Mm -hmm. you know, but they do still turn to you for guidance and help. Mm -hmm. And then I've seen some people that have really turned their lives around and they, they've they've gone from um, full-blown addiction, alcoholism, and eating disorder to a person that is very comfortable in their skin, very happy. They're, they're, they're now helping other people. That's mm-hmm. what we do. That's yeah. what we do. We come and we get well yeah. enough to be able to transmit something that we have now to other people. And you're doing that. Yeah. You're doing that. I think it's amazing it's amazing work you're a beautiful soul and and um and so we don't really need to talk about individuals we we talk about the successes and Mm -hmm. we we talk about empowering those that think that they can't get to the point of success i had a guy one time told me this had nothing to do with eating disorder but he's like this was like at five years of He's like, that's your success story i'm like listen dude i'm nothing short of of being a full-blown drug addict or alcoholic Mm -hmm. just like yourself yeah. Like there's, there's, uh, if I didn't do this, the work that needed to be done to get me to a point in my life where I wasn't living aimlessly and dilly dallying, pussyfoot and doing nothing with my life, um, and still being an active addiction, I would not be what you describe as a success story. What is success? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of times that people will come into, uh, 
the recovery world, however that may be, and successfully quit for a while, mm-hmm. but then end up going back to the old lifestyle again. Yeah. And and so what is a success story? Does that mean like it's permanent success or does that mean that the person actually works through whatever traumas they have or whatever it is that's making them be active in their disease, ego, disorder, whatever you want to call it and, and get, you know, this is about living, living mm-hmm. well, you know? And so, um, I, if you don't mind, without saying a name, is mm-hmm. there anyone that stands out to you that you see that's doing really well in the community? Like, what are they doing as a result of doing the work so that we can give some encouragement and, and hope to people that think that they can't do it? Because everyone can do it. Absolutely. I mean, when you were sharing, my first thought was, I mean, you asked me about what I do, but you also asked me who I am. And um, what I do for a career is just such a small part of me, Mm -hmm. right? But who I am um, is who you are, right? So like, I feel like I came into this being um, when I found sobriety and when I found... um, a way of living that allowed me to give back to others, mm-hmm. right? So I feel like because of that, that gives me a career in what I do, but that's not um, why I necess- like necessarily give back to others. Mm-hmm. I spend the majority of my time doing what you're, you do. You mm-hmm. know, I'm on the phone with other people, working with others, reading to them, they're reading back to me. Like, I love that. And I'm super, super passionate about it. And when it comes to success stories like that, the reason why I have that is because two other women took the time to give that to me. And I am so proud of them. Mm -hmm. Like, so those are the first two women I think of, you know, Rebecca Cooper and Tanya, like, Mm -hmm. and you know, Tanya, Tanya is like the most amazing woman in the world. Amen. You should. I love her. I love her. So, um, I wouldn't be doing even an ounce of what I'm doing today if it weren't for those two women. But, um, you know, I have Rebecca Cooper is, how do you know her? Rebecca Cooper, um, gosh, I love her so much. So Rebecca Cooper owned uh, Rebecca's house in Lake Forest. Which was in Orange County, yes. Um, Known to be for? Eating disorder recovery. It was actually one of, I think, one of the first eating disorder recoveries Mm -hmm. in California. Right. Um, It was founded in either... 80s or the 90s so it was one of the original ed facilities it did unfortunately close down Mm -hmm. she moved to north carolina however her and i have continued to have the rebecca's foundation which is a nonprofit Mm -hmm. for eating disorder um patients to find um eating disorder uh, help or scholarships to go to other facilities. So her and I still work together, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, in a, in a special way. So, but the, those, those are the two first success stories I think of, or the two women that freely gave it to me. Right. And then, you know, I have men and women that I've continued to freely give it to, and there's beautiful success stories that, that you know of, yeah. you know, there's little Ashley. Oh, I, amazing. she's a shining, shining light and, um, highly talented. 
oh my gosh, my heart sings every, every time I see her mm -hmm. and, and, um, but she helps many, so many, yes. so, so many. That's she, what it's all about. She's a beautiful, beautiful soul. Totally. Mm -hmm. You've given me a brilliant idea and I know that this is going to be spinning around in my brain all day. Um, on one end, I know that Rebecca's house closed and is no longer here, but I believe that we are overdue. And I don't know if you agree with this or not. And maybe you do, and maybe you don't. And we can talk about it like off the air, but mm -hmm. um, I believe we need something again in South Orange County or, or in South Southern California that is based around that nonprofit um, ED center, something that, and I know there are some already, but mm -hmm. I, I, we should talk about this. Yes. We should talk about this. Yes, we should open something. And, we've uh, talked about this before. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. because I think there's more ED going on out there than people really know. Yeah, and about. I think I think in uh, um, you opened up the topic. So I think the whole in our treatment system when it comes to ED is we might have a a couple facilities in Orange County or. Um, in LA, Malibu, Beach, yeah. we have Montanito and, and those facilities are wonderful. Mm -hmm. However, there's not a lot of aftercare. Right. And that's what you and I have talked about before. Yeah. Aftercare is vital. And I'd love to see more of that. Well, we're still young. I mean, you're still young. I'm getting older. <laughs> I turn 50 next month. Um, I'm, I'm 40 in August. So <laughs> that's a lot younger than me. <laughs> that's a whole decade younger than me. But you know what? We, we'd be doing good things. So mm -hmm. um, I think this is one of the most powerful. I see that I say this a lot, but I'm going to say this is a very powerful episode because there are a lot of people that need to hear this. Mm -hmm. So they don't, they don't feel alone. Mm -hmm. And there is help out there. And if they mm -hmm. need to contact you, uh, do you have a website? Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mention that. LaraReeves.com is my website. That's L-A-R-A-R-E-A-V-E-S. Correct. Dot com. Correct. Okay. Uh, you can contact me directly on my website. Um, you can also book uh, coaching sessions with me on my website. Mm -hmm. So Your phone number is on the website? My phone number is not on the website, but my email is. People can get a hold of you. Yes. Through the website, laurareeves.com. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, this has been a great episode. I really, really enjoyed having you on the show today. Is there anything that you want to say before we sign off? I just appreciate being here and I appreciate you. So thank you so much. You're a beautiful soul. Thank you too. I hope everybody has a good rest of your day and week. We love you and we will be back next week. Talk to you then. Woo! And boom! And boom! And boom!